Yassis, and welcome to the Greece Travel Secrets podcast. Your host is the founder of the Greece Travel Secrets website, Sandy Pappas, and she's joined by a variety of guests covering all sorts of topics about visiting Greece and making the most of your Greek odyssey. Kalimera, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Greece Travel Secrets podcast. We've had some great feedback on the first three episodes that have now gone live, so thank you everyone for your support. And whilst this still seems like quite a strange thing for me to be doing, it's a lot of fun. So I hope that I can bring you a lot more useful information and interesting facts and figures for your trip to Greece. Now, episode four. Today's episode, I want to talk to you all about destinations and attractions in Greece. We talked in episode two about trying to work out a plan and an itinerary and how to make the most of your time in Greece. And that's all very well and good. We talked about, you know, how much time you have and where you may want to go. But let's dig a little bit deeper into that and talk about what are the things that are at those destinations. Why would you want to go to some parts of Greece, some islands or parts of the mainland rather than other parts? Now, if you're like me, you're probably quite time poor. You don't have a year to explore the entire country. You've only got a limited amount of time. So you've got to think about the things that you're interested in uh, and your travel companions. I mean, if you're traveling with children, for example, your needs are possibly going to be quite different to, say, a couple on their honeymoon, a bunch of girls on spring break, or a solo traveler. So let's talk about what the different things are that you might want to see and do when you're in Greece. Now, most people visiting Greece are probably going to visit Athens. Now, you may only be there for a day or even just a few hours, but it is truly a fascinating city. So don't underestimate it. If You know, I see this in my group. People say, oh, my friends told me Athens isn't that, that interesting. Just go straight to the islands. All I can say is those people can't have looked very hard. I mean, not only is it full of obviously very famous and very significant ancient and archaeological you know monuments and sites but there's a lot of other things in Athens that are really worthwhile investing a little bit more time we always say that you probably need three days in Athens and actually I mean we go there every year often only for two days but every year I think to myself why do I not spend more time here and every year I discover more neighborhoods places that I didn't even know existed and I would think to be honest it would take months if not years to really get a good grasp and understand Athens and to really appreciate it so please do yourself a favor and at least put a couple of days at the beginning of your trip and probably a day or two at the end as well if you're flying out of Athens back home Not everybody arrives in Greece, in Athens. Um, Some people come in on ships. Some people might enter directly onto one of the islands, as unfortunately, quite a few do have international airports. So not everyone is going to make it to Athens anyway, but if you can, please do. So what's so great about Athens? Well, okay, I've already mentioned some of the ancient sites, and of course, 
The number one most famous ancient site in Greece is, of course, the Acropolis. So the ancient citadel sits up on, on the top of the hill, right in the middle of the city. So it's very Im imposing and it's very impressive. And honestly, it doesn't seem to matter how many times I've seen the Acropolis. It's breathtaking. And when you wake up from your hotel, hopefully you've managed to get something that might have a view of the Acropolis. You'll look out your window in the morning and you'll just think, Oh my God, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. So Athens has obviously the Acropolis. Now, we always recommend people also go, preferably on the same day that they visit the Acropolis, to the Acropolis Museum, which is excellent. In fact, honestly, we never really used to be terribly interested in museums. We've been to some very good ones, but we've also been to some, you know, pretty tedious ones, to be honest. But... The Acropolis Museum is only 10 years old. It was built for the Olympics and it is in itself a magnificent building. Very modern, very beautiful. But, you know, inside it, I mean, hey, it, it is home to the relics and all the statues and all the fabulous things that actually were in the Acropolis. So they're housed nice and safely in the Acropolis Museum. And, you know, it also has an excellent restaurant. It has amazing views of the Acropolis and the surrounding area. It has a, a very good gift shop with some quite fascinating literature and souvenirs that you can take home. So it's only right outside the main gate in the area called Plaka. You can't miss it. And it's a really nice neighbourhood, one of the nicest neighbourhoods in Athens. You can wander around there for hours, have some lunch and explore some of the, you know, there's lovely little galleries and uh, cafes and tavernas in that area. So what else is in Athens? Well, there's a lot of other actually excellent museums. I won't go into all of them. We'll be doing a whole uh, episode on Athens, of course. As you walk around the Acropolis, in fact, which um, is largely all car-free, you'll just go from area to area that is uh, fascinating. It's, it's a bit like Rome. You know, you turn the corner and you go, oh, wow, there's another ancient thing, which really makes you kind of humble and, and it really makes you feel your mortality quite regularly. But as you walk around the hill that the Acropolis is on, you'll see site after site and it's very easy to get around. It's flat. It's very walkable. People often ask me about transport in Athens, but to be honest, in central Athens, you can, you can do it all yourself on, on legs. And if you get tired, you can grab a taxi for, for a couple of bucks or there's even a little train that you can go around on if you've got, if you've got children. So there's an area called the Agora. So Agora in Greek means market. And there's a fascinating area not far from the Acropolis, which houses both the um, ancient Agora of Athens, as well as the Roman Agora, because at one stage, of course, the Romans occupied uh, much of Greece. And there's a very, very good, very well-preserved temple uh, at the ancient Agora called the Temple of Hephaestus. 
and it is now a museum um, but it's really worthwhile spending an hour or so in that area and you'll get a feel how you know the Athenians lived back in the day you'll see um, the old ancient wells you'll see remnants of various things not just um, temples you'll see remains of a, a prison you'll see the ancient aqueducts and the bathhouse and the the, the toilet block um, so yeah you can really using a little bit of imagination really get a feel for how things were in ancient Greece now not far from there um, is a, an area that I love to go to I go every time I'm in Athens there's a square called Syntagma Square um, it's one of the major squares in Athens. Uh, many people still gather there when there's protests or mars marches or festivals or, or what have you. And it's right out the front of Parliament House. But out the front of Parliament House is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And that is guarded by what are called the Evzones. Now, the Evzones are an elite military guard and um, they wear a very distinctive uniform. You may have seen photos of these, these fellows. The uniform is made of a, a skirt and they also have these wooden shoes that have pom-poms on the end. But in actual fact, there's there's fascinating story about the uniform, which again, we'll get into in the future. And it's considered a great honour in Greece to be selected as an Evzones and um, these young men are all very fit, they're very intelligent, they have to pass many tests and they actually all look kind of similar, they're around the same height um, and of course they have very strict um, rules about how they, they behave and how they um, dress. And they have a ritual every hour on the hour outside the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, where they change the guard. So it's called, obviously, ch the changing of the guard, as you would see in other countries, such as at Buckingham Palace in London. And there's a very, again, um, distinctive uh, ritual that they go through that involves um, an, a very unusual march. It's It's got a, a goose step that they form and their uniforms are inspected by a commanding officer. And it's really, I don't know, every time I see it, and I've seen it many times now, I just feel so proud of these guys, but I can't imagine how the Greek people must feel. If you're lucky enough to be in Athens actually on a Sunday, you can also see them going up to the Acropolis in the mornings and they perform another ritual up there which involves changing the flag. So that's really worthwhile seeing and getting up early to do that. And otherwise in Athens, look, there's so much to see and do. I would suggest that anybody that hasn't been before uh, goes and does that big walk around the Acropolis Hill and discover the suburbs that are in the area. Um, we've talked about Plaka already. My favourite area and the area that we usually stay in most years is called Siri. It's a little bit further back um, and a little bit grungy, a lot of graffiti, but these days it's more, um, you know, street art. There's a lot of really excellent tavernas and bars and cafes and uh, shops. So it's a really cool kind of area to hang out. And at night time, it's pretty lively. 
Um, not far from Siri is Ghazi, another really interesting, fun area. A little further around, there's a very leafy and quite upmarket suburbs of Kolanaki, uh, Kukaki. Another area that we love is Thisio. All of them have a lot in common in terms of those outdoor bars and restaurants and tavernas. So take some time, take some time in Athens and really, you know, have a good look around because it's got multiple layers and a lot to offer uh, for everybody. So where else do you go in Greece? Well, the Greek islands, of course, are the number one reason that visitors come to Greece. And the islands that they visit the most are in what are called the Cyclades. Now, the Cyclades, uh, they consist of 220 islands, the most famous, of course, being Santorini and Mykonos. And they are the two islands that spring to mind when most people think of Greece and the Greek islands. However, that's two of them. There's another 218 of them, and they include islands such as Paros, Naxos, Milos, Sifnos, Syros. Syros is actually the capital of the Cyclades, and a whole bunch of other islands too, which again we'll get into more detail in the future. It's interesting actually to, to find out the origin of the word Cyclades. It actually means um, cycle or circle around the island of Delos. Now Delos is a small island just near Mykonos and it is believed to be a sacred island because it is supposed to be the birthplace of Apollo. And I have a whole guide to Delos on the website so there will be a link to that on the transcript. Now, the Cyclades are very distinctive in their style. And again, I think when people think of the Greek islands, they think of those blue and white sugar cube looking houses, the white domes of the church roofs. And that, that is very distinctive to the Cyclades. You won't necessarily find a lot of that style of architecture outside of this group of islands. So that's what people want to see. They want to go to um, the islands that have those blue and white, uh, all of the blue and white, you know, the, the white cobblestones, the blue doors and windows, although there's quite a bit of, um, you know, pink and green and other colours around too, although that is actually all heavily regulated, which we will get into on a Cyclades episode. And people, you know, they also want to go, of course, to Santorini to see the famous volcano. So Santorini actually consists of three islands and they are, were formed from an explosion from a, a volcano millions of years ago as it came up out of the ocean. And the, the main island is actually called Thera. Um, and that is the island that 99% of tourists will go to. And they will all want to go to the town of Ia, which is where everybody wants to see the sunset. Now, I'm not quite sure why they all want to go to Ia. It is beautiful, don't get me wrong, that's where we've stayed. But you can see the sunset actually from the entire island. It does face west after all. So don't get too concerned if you're, you know, you can't afford to stay at that 
amazing Sunset View Hotel or have dinner at that incredible Sunset View restaurant because actually there's lots of them and, and there's something there for lots of different budgets. So everybody can and, and should visit Santorini at least once. Now, the other really popular island that I mentioned is Mykonos. Mykonos is, look, it's, um, it, it's quite different to Santorini. It's not uh, built on a volcano. It's just a, a, an ordinary island like most of the others. Um, it's a, a bit of a party island. It's got quite a reputation these days. It's certainly become a lot more expensive. And look, both Santorini and Mykonos um, heavily rely on tourism. So you're going to be hard pressed there to find people just going about their everyday lives. Most people do work in tourism and, you know, they're both kind of uh, theme parks in some respects, although luckily the theme is the Greek islands. Um, it's not Disneyland, but they're great to see at least once. But I really do urge you, if you can fit it in, try and go to one of the other islands in the Cyclades as well, hopefully even three or four, because you'll see a very different side to the Greek islands than what you're going to see on Santorini and Mykonos. Now, people always ask me, you know, which island should I go? And, and it's, it's hard to answer. I mean, everybody's different. Everybody has different interests. If you're into beaches and you really want to spend a lot of your time swimming, then I would probably look at Milos and Naxos. If you're into the archaeology and the history and the culture, then Delos that we've already we've already talked about. I'd also maybe look at Tinos, which is quite fascinating with the religious, the Greek Orthodox religious aspects. Syros. Syros has some beautiful Venetian architecture. That's um, yeah, it's quite different to the other Cyclades islands. Or if you're looking for an island or two that has a little bit of everything, then Paros. I mean, Paros really has something for everybody. Sifnos is another one. And um, look, there's, there's others too. So again, we'll be doing a whole episode on uh, not just the Cyclades islands, but actually on each individual island as we move forward. So other islands in Greece to look at, um, I mentioned in episode two, the different groups of islands that you need to consider. They're all similar, but they're all different. And um, I went into a more in-depth e explanation in that episode. But just recapping on that, over on the western side of Greece, you've got the Ionian Islands. So they're very close to Italy. They've been occupied at various times by the Venetians, by the British, by the French, even by the Germans. So you'll see a very distinctive Venetian feel uh, in the Ionians. The architecture there is quite different. You'll see a lot of colour. Things are very brightly coloured. There's a lot more greenery than the Cyclades that are quite dry in terms of climate. And in the Ionians, you'll come across islands like Corfu, which is um, quite famous for being the birthplace of Prince Philip, actually, and has seen a lot of um, recent popularity due to the TV series, The Durrells, which is a personal favourite of mine. I read the books of um, 
Gerald Durrell actually whilst we were holidaying in Corfu a few years ago and they're very charming so if you love to read or if you love to watch um, television about Greece then I highly recommend the Durrells and if you go to Corfu you can even visit the house that the television series was filmed in. Other islands in the Ionians are Kefalonia. We spent a week on Kefalonia last year and it was wonderful. We've also been to Paxos and Ithaca, which is right near Kefalonia. Ithaca is believed to be the birthplace of Odysseus. So if, you've, if you've read the Iliad, the most famous Greek book, and in fact believed to be the first Western published book, um, that was written by Homer. And the Iliad, of course, tells the tale of the Trojan War and the return home um, is also in the, his second book uh, called The Odyssey. And Odysseus was believed, as I said, to be the king of Ithaca. And I really enjoy those stories of, of Greek mythology. So I was really keen to visit Ithaca last year. And just, I don't know, it was magical. We sailed in on a boat and I just thought to myself, wow, I mean, if Odysseus really was a real guy, then this is how he felt or imagine how he felt when he was coming home, having been away for 12 years and seeing his 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 kingdom again. So that's um, when you're thinking about should you visit the Ionian Islands? Well, what are you going to get there? You're going to get history, mythology, amazing beaches, great food, beautiful architecture, very famous beaches actually. You may have heard of Shipwreck Beach on, on Zakynthos, um, Myrtos Beach on Kefalonia and many others. Literally there's, there's thousands of them. Now on the other side of Greece over in the east you've got the Dodecanese Islands and um, above them you've got the Northern Aegean Islands. These are all fairly similar. And in their case, they have been occupied at various times by the Turks or the Ottomans and also by the Persians. So you're going to see influences in these islands from them, um, particularly again in the architecture and in the food and the cooking. But again, another really fascinating part of the world Rhodes is uh, one of the one of the biggest islands in Greece and probably the busiest one in this part of Greece and it has a lot to offer I mean apart from also having some beautiful beaches if you're into mythology again um, it is believed that the sun god Helios was from Rhodes and it was also apparently once home to one of the seven um, ancient wonders of the world, the Colossus of Rhodes, which was a huge bronze uh, statue that stood at the gates of the harbour. And if you listened into episode three, where I interviewed um, a lady, an expat who's living in Rhodes, we talked a lot about um, the different things that you can see and do in Rhodes. And one of them then was also in modern history. At one stage, Rhodes was occupied by the Knights Templar and they built um, what, what they called the Palace of the Grand Master. So if you have um, children in particular and they're into knights, then Rhodes is a really fascinating place for them to visit. 
And other islands in the area have, oh, look, there's so much to see and do. Cos, Cos is famous for being the birthplace of medicine. Original medical centre there was founded by Hippocrates. So that's a fascinating um, thing to see and do. But it also has some great beaches and, and lots of great other things to do there too. Um, as you travel up the coast, there's Samos. Samos has, you know, an ancient port beautiful temples, great beaches, actually very good wine on Samos, uh, Patmos. Patmos is supposedly where St. John wrote the book of Revelations. So there's a, there's a bit of trivia for you. Heading up the coast, Lesvos is quite lovely. Hios, so Hios, you will hear me talk about Hios quite a bit in the future. It's where my father-in-law is from. It is quite unique in a number of ways. It's where the mastica bushes are grown and the sap from them is harvested. And back in the day, it was the original chewing gum. Now it is a resin that's used in many things, in cosmetics, even in ice cream. It also, Hios has a, um, a number of medieval villages with some very distinctive architectural styles. Not very popular with tourists, so these islands represent quite good value because they're a lot less expensive than the Cyclades. Now, there's still a couple of other island groups. There's the Saronic Islands. I talked a little about them in episode two. They are the closest island group to Athens and uh, therefore probably the easiest to get to. And if you're wanting to just do a day trip out of Athens, it's quite viable. You know, there's a lot to see there too. They're quite lovely and we will actually be spending a fair bit of time there ourselves this year. The island of Hydra is probably the most, uh, the best known and for a number of reasons, but mostly because of the musician Leonard Cohen, the Canadian musician who lived there for 20 years. It also, Hydra is quite unique as there are no motorised vehicles on the island. So the only form of transport on Hydra and on Spetsis, which is not far from Hydra, is uh, donkeys. Uh, t water taxis and your legs so it's quite tranquil in many respects and they're also very wealthy islands um, these were islands that were home to many shipping magnates and wealthy shipping families they played a big role in the Greek War of Independence a lot of the homes have been converted into hotels or museums and to this day a lot of wealthy Athenians uh, go to these islands for their own um, holidays and weekend breaks. And the last island group that I have to mention is called the Sporades Islands. These are just north of Athens. It'd take about four hours if you were driving by car, but you can fly into Skiathos, which has an international airport. These are the greenest islands. They're very lush and very green and very beautiful. The beaches are fabulous. One of them is called uh, Skopelos and it has become again also very famous in recent years as it is home to the little church that was used in the movie Mamma Mia. Now most people think that actually the entire movie was filmed on Skopelos but in fact it wasn't, only the church scene was. Most of it was in fact filmed on the mainland, on the Pelion Peninsula, which is right near the Sporades Islands. So if you are going to those islands, 
I urge you to try and do at least a day trip or hopefully spend a few days or a week or two on the Pelion because it is really very beautiful, very fascinating and very, very good value for money. Now, last of all, but certainly not least, talking about the islands, there is one island all on its own called Crete. Now, Crete is the biggest Greek island, and in fact, it's, it's like going to, as I often say, like going to visit a country all on its own. You really need at least a week on Crete, preferably two or three, to uh, get a good look around. It's an island that really warrants hiring a car, and in fact, I have uh, an, a complete guide to doing road trips in Crete, and again, that will be in the transcript. Most people that go to Crete are going to want to go to the lovely Venetian town of Hanya. It's on the far western side of the island and it's quite close to a number of the best beaches in Crete, such as Elephonissos and Balos and uh, Falasana. So you can easily spend a week in just, just in Hanya and um, you'll never get bored. There's a lot to see and do. Moving along the northern coast of Crete is another lovely town called Rethymnon. I would um, really highly recommend spending a couple of days here. I don't know why more people don't. It seems to be quite under the radar. But, uh, you know, when we visited, I was really, really impressed with the old town. It's full of very narrow, windy little alleys, but full of beautiful gardens and bougainvillea and lovely little boutique hotels and tavernas. So it's, it's really very quaint and, and very sweet. Heading west, you'll um, come across the capital of Crete, which is called Iraklio. Um, it has the busiest port, the busiest airport. It's probably not the most interesting part of Crete, but, you know, it does deserve a night or two. It's very close to the ancient famous palace of Knossos, which is believed to be one of the oldest cities, in fact, in the world, being occupied from Neolithic times right through to Roman times. And in Greek mythology, it was believed to be the home of King Minos. So it's very important in uh, terms of uh, the Minoan civilizations. King Minos was supposedly the son of Zeus. And he was also the father of the Minotaur, a mythical creature that was half man, half bull. And it was believed that he lived in a labyrinth below the palace. So again, this is a, a part of the world that if you're interested in history and mythology, then you know you don't want to miss out on a visit to, um, to Crete and to Knossos Palace in particular. Other things to see in Crete, um, I really enjoyed visiting Spinalonga. It's an island not far from the western uh, city of uh, Agios Nicolas or St. Nicholas. And Spinalonga used to be a leper colony. So it's, it's kind of sad to visit, interesting, fascinating. There's a, a famous book called The Island, a fictitious book by um, a British author called Victoria Hislop. And it's uh, all about a, a young woman who goes back to Crete to explore her Greek heritage and in particular uh, Spinalonga. So that's worth a read. Um, and then look, lots of things to see and do in Crete. I could, I, and I will be talking about Crete for an entire 
uh, episode. But the other thing I think worth knowing about Crete is the south is still relatively untouched by, by mass tourism and it's really pretty authentic down there. So if you can spend time in the south as part of your visit to Crete, then I'd highly recommend that. And hey, look, you know, I still haven't spoken about the Greek mainland and it has so much to offer and I'm not exaggerating. I would say it's just as interesting, just as enjoyable, just as attractive and probably less crowded and less expensive than most of the islands. The mainland is where, you know, Greeks live. It's where the real Greece is. It's where people are still carrying on their everyday business. And you can see incredible things such as Meteora, the the floating monasteries they're called up in the hills. Uh, You can go to the Peloponnese Peninsula, you know, do a road trip around that area and you will not be disappointed. It's probably my, my favorite part of Greece. You can go right up into the north to Thessaloniki, which is the second biggest city in um, in Greece and and is very close to an area called Halkidiki, which is um, many people believe probably has the most beautiful beaches in all of Greece. And one of the um, most fascinating attractions in Halkidiki is the um, monasteries of Mount Athos. Mount Athos is home to a number of monasteries around a very large peninsula, but they are only inhabited by by men, by, by monks, of course, and women are not even allowed to visit. So um, you can only view Mount Athos as a woman from a boat. Yeah, so this is a part of the world that is quite unique. You're not going to see something like that anywhere else. So if you can get to the north, then again, you will not be disappointed. It's a whole other world. Um, this is Greece in a, in a different light with a whole different climate, different food, different customs and traditions. So as you can see, the entire country just has so much diversity, so much to offer and so much for everybody to see and do. Well, I've spent over half an hour talking about various things that you can see and do in Greece. It's certainly not all the things you can do and see in Greece. I could probably talk for uh, the entire day and I'd still only scratch the surface. But I hope for now you've enjoyed what you've heard. And in the next episode, I'm actually going to be talking to an actual traveller, somebody who went to Greece for the first time with her family and get some good insights and tips from her about what they loved, what they did and any tips and tricks that they can pass on back to you. So I look forward to talking to you all then.